What is good, everyone? This is your host, Deanna Radulescu with Label Free Podcast. Live your best life. You must live label free. I'm super excited. Sit back, relax, have an open mind, and just listen to my next guest. He's got an incredible story. He's a substance abuse counselor, author, public speaker, and an advocate for reducing DUI fatalities. Please welcome Martin Lockett. Martin, I am so excited for this conversation. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It is truly, truly an honor to be here with you today. We've already had a great conversation talking about Julie and just a lot of stuff. You're, you are based out of Pennsylvania, the East Coast, which is awesome. I miss the East Coast. I used to go there quite frequently back in the day. So uh, I know you're enjoying it there for moving from the West Coast. But let's get into a little bit of your story. You've got um, quite the um, almost traumatic, I'd say, background. So I'm going to let you share what you're wanting to share, and then we're just going to get into it. Okay, so what brings me here today is the fact that I spent 17 and a half years in prison in the state of Oregon for a DUI manslaughter where tragically two people were killed. Another was severely injured, permanently injured for life because of my reckless actions. So this started on New Year's Eve of 2003. And I was a severe alcoholic. By that point, I started to drink when I was about 14 years old. And so for 10 years, um, drinking, and then that turned into drinking and driving on a continuous basis that culminated with this tragic, tragic crash. And I'm reluctant to say accident because I knew as intoxicated as I was that I should not have been driving that night. Right. And so I think it's somewhat offensive to, especially to people who have been impacted by DUI drivers when they hear somebody say it was an accident. So I'm purposeful about the way that I speak about that. So what what set me on this course of being a substance abuse counselor, I speak out at DUI victim impact panels across the country, uh, largely remotely these days. But I was in my cell three days after this this tragedy, and I see that someone has slid the, the Oregonian newspaper underneath my door, and I didn't understand why. So I pick it up and I begin to thumb through it and I see my picture on the front page of one of the sections. And with each paragraph that I read that morning, for the first time in several days, my faceless victims became people. And these people had an incredible story. And their story was that they were recovering addicts who had managed to turn their lives around and were now helping others get clean and sober. So they would volunteer with Mothers Against Drunk Driving, no less. They were volunteers at Volunteers of America. They would watch women's kids so that they could attend AA and NA meetings. And that very night that this this tragedy happened, they were actually returning home from a clean and sober New Year's Eve party when they were struck and killed by a drunk driver. And so the columnist had talked about the the palpable irony is what he called it of this tragedy. And he, what he said at the end, it changed my life forever. He said, quote, perhaps the person they will have ended up helping the most is the man who's charged with killing them. End quote. And so, yeah, so I'm trying to process that. Right. And so this, this, this statement, this profound statement, it resonated, but I'm also grappling with the fact that at 24 years old, I know based on the law in the state of Oregon, I'm looking at about 20 years in prison day for day. So I couldn't fully, understand how this situation was supposed to help me, but also couldn't ignore that statement. And so I would just meditate on that phrase, hearing it over and over and over in my head. And then about six or seven months later, I had come to the conclusion that the only way this tragedy 
will not be in vain is if I carry on these people's legacies, right? Mm -hmm. if, if I literally make it my life's mission to do everything I possibly can to prevent other families from feeling this, you know, utter devastation. So in that moment, um, that's exactly what I vowed to do. And so I was set off on this journey that would eventually get me there. Yeah, that is very intense and very, I mean, yeah, uh, I'm just thinking the irony in that, but I think, I mean, I believe that, you know, our life, our story has already been written, you know, by God, you know, and um, that was just part of his plan. You know, maybe that was a way for you to do m more incredible things and you could possibly even realize, you know, and having to go through that. But I can't imagine that that was an easy journey after accepting that story and the irony in it. I mean, what did that look like for you as you kind of repaired yourself and came out of becoming out of being an alcoholic? Right. So I, I'm also very spiritual and believe that nothing happens by accident. Right. But that also can be offensive to some people who, again, like think about the families of these people and how they would they might interpret that by me saying, well, you know, this had to happen in order for me to turn my life around and to, you know, be of service to other people. Sorry, your your loved ones have to die in the process. Right. But I don't I don't question why things happen the way they happen. I accept that they happen for a reason. Right. Without trying to explain it or anything like that. And so with that, I, I had all this energy geared toward understanding, you know, the origins of my addiction. First of all, before I could help anybody else, I had to understand what was at the crux of my addiction and why I felt this overwhelming need at the age of 14 to suppress my feelings and why I was struggling with an identity crisis, you know, growing up, yeah. you know, poor and black and going to school with my middle class white friends who, you know, got, you know, new cars at 16 years old and lived in great neighborhoods. And and so there was a lot going on internally that caused a lot of strife. And so it started with that. I started taking, you know, classes in psychology. I was taking one class at a time, which was what was offered at the prison. And I'm learning a lot about kind of the, you know, psychosocial development that we go through throughout life and the cognitive stages of cog cognitive development and all these things that factored into what led me on this path. And so the more I was able to do that, the more I was able to reach out to the younger guys within the prison system who were also struggling. And as you can imagine, prison is not a very safe place to be vulnerable. So, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of guys will walk around with the, you know, the chest puffed out and with the mean mug, but you get them on their own by themselves and you start to, you know, see those layers peel back if they feel that you're a safe, you know, a safe person to do that with. And guys saw how I, you know, managed my time and, 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 and where kind of my focus was. And so um, that kind of confirmed to me that the way for me to honor my victims is to become a substance abuse counselor. And so I kind of set on, on that path and I eventually got my bachelor's in sociology from Colorado State University. And I got my master's in psychology from California Coast University in 2016. I was only able to do that, however, because um, years and years past, uh, previous, I had lost my dad and he had left us, you know, his pension and life insurance money because the state, the federal government or the state, they don't fund any college programming for, for the incarcerated. So yeah. this was totally privately funded. And I felt what better way to honor my dad and all of his hard work than to, you know, invest in my own education. And so 
I'm happy I was able to do that. And then uh, at the same time, I was able to start to tell my story within the prison at the DUI victim impact panels. They would bring in people from the community who had lost people to DUI drivers. They would bring them into the prison and they would they would they would tell their story alongside one of us from the inside who had been uh, the offender of this type of crime. And there's a room, 50 inmates sitting in a circle. And there's, I mean, as you can imagine, there's, you know, murderers and you yeah. know, rapists and, you know, burglar. I mean, just across the board. And they're all in here listening to these very, very sad, you know, compelling stories. And like, you know, to picture a room full of inmates, you know, crying and hugging one another. I mean, you just can't get, you can't replicate that anywhere else. It was a very cathartic environment. It was a very healing environment. You talk about restorative justice and the community kind of coming together to heal in a communal sense. Yeah. That's what happened in that room. And I'm so honored to have been a part of that. And that allowed me to make connections with people so that now that I've been out a little over a year, I've been able to speak at these panels in Oregon and, and, and in some other states remotely. So very, very blessed to have had those opportunities. Wow. Like, well, I, I'm just having chills the whole time. <laughs> I'm just having chills listening to your story. But I want to go back a little bit. So during those 10 years that you became an alcoholic or just kind of became, became a raging alcoholic, did any, at any point, did you think at all that you had a problem? So I did. I would say probably around 18 or 19, I knew that I had had a problem because even though I was able to maintain a job, like my parents instilled in us the the the, the value of, of you know having a good work ethic, right? So from age 16, I was having jobs after high school and things like that. So I was able to hold down a job and you know get a you know my car and pay my car note and pay my insurance and pay my bills and whatnot. But there's still this insatiable need to drink. Like every day I had a ritual when I would get out off of work, I would go straight to the store. I'd buy four 24 ounce cans of old English, old English beer. Disgusting. But it was like 8.5%. As an alcoholic, you just want to get wasted. You don't care what it tastes like. Yeah. So I would drink all four of those in an evening. And then on top of that, I would have some hard liquor with some with some orange juice. And so when I got into a relationship, at age 22, my girlfriend, she, she, she told me, she said, Martin, like when you're not drinking, you're an, you're an a-hole. And I was like, wow. Like, but she was right because I would be irritable. I would be moody. I was, you know, uh, um, you know, I would just, you know, I, I had a, a, a hair trigger, uh, uh, personality, but that wasn't me. Like that wasn't me before the drinking. I was a happy kid. I grew up in a loving household. And so it totally changed my personality. I noticed over the years where I just wasn't myself. But then when I was drunk, then I was like, okay, the world, the world is okay now. And I knew that that was a problem inwardly. I knew that was an issue. Hey dad, how you been? What's going on? Well, uh, not too much. We're in cleaning time. Well, did you weed whack? Did you get the carpets cleaned? I know, I know mom's all about that. So I, I <laughs> want to make sure we're ready to go. Well, yeah. Um, I got the gutters clean, that's about it. That's it? Well, so when I said wee-wack and all that in the carpet, I kind of meant like the Manscaped 4.0. It's a little more personal. I understand, yeah. It works oh, awesome. I, have you tried this? I have tried it and it works wonders. It really oh, does, yeah. Okay, this is pretty cool. And uh, see, it comes with uh, with an LED light. And I, I understand it's waterproof. It is waterproof. It 
it works well. I tried it, you know, I mean, uh, it's a good product. It's a great product. I've tried other ones and they're just so noisy and and it's it, they don't uh, they don't cut very well. Wow, that's really good, Mike. Where do we get this? Well, you know, you can get it at manscape.com. Uh, and while you're at manscape.com, you know that we got a code so we get it cheaper. Really? Yeah. What what kind of a discount can we get? We can get it at label free 20 and it gives you 20% off the product and it gives us free shipping. And uh, you know, I've tried some of the other products there because they got these all new premier products. Um, like this here, it's for your, it's a deodorant. Now is it for underarm or other places or? Made it, you know, I tried, but it's for the underarm. Okay. That's, that's, that's where it's at. And you can also get it at uh, manscaped.com. Same code, we're using the code again. Label free 20. Label free 20. Free shipping. Free shipping. Well. I mean, how can you go wrong with that, right? Wonderful. At 14, how did you get, or who introduced you to drinking? So I had a cousin who had come to stay with us uh, between the eighth and ninth grade school year. And that was when my whole world changed. He was a notorious gang member. He was only one year older than us. He was a notorious gang member in Portland. All the guys feared him. All the girls loved him. He was so popular, yeah. but he he was into all the all the stuff, right? Yeah. And so because I was a really shy, timid kid, you know, he was everything that I wasn't. So yeah. I envied him. So I remember I threw away all of my, you know, my my Levi jeans and turtlenecks for, you know, these gangster clothes, right? Oh, I want to wear them. <laughs> right, right. And so I want I want to wear the Chuck Taylors and the, you know, the Dicky, the Dicky suits. And and, um, you know, I just I, he was everything to me. And so we started hanging out with him. He gave my brother and me our first beer. I remember we were at a party and he handed us these beers and, you know, we're looking at each other like uh, we can't drink this like mom and dad would kill us. Right. We weren't uh, raised yeah. this way. But we knew if we were going to be accepted amongst this group of, of people that we had to do what they were doing. And so I remember when I took that first drink, like my chest, you know, just heated up and the inhibitions came down and I'm able to actually talk to people freely without this anxiety, this social anxiety that it gripped me for years. Yeah. Right. I'm able to talk to girls without sweating. I mean, it, it was like a miracle drug to me that, that this alcohol gave me. And so at that point, you know, I, I became very fond of alcohol yeah. so much so that alcohol was literally my best friend until it wasn't right. Mm -hmm. Until it took everything from me and took two beautiful people from this earth. So, wow. So it started off with something fun and it just like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just escalated or yeah. Into yeah. Something really bad. Wow. That's uh, quite the story. Well, I mean, luckily you did, you didn't get involved in gangs or anything like that. Did you? We did well, so semi. We never got fully initiated, but yeah. we I mean, we were we were deeply affiliated. We would go to these gang hangouts with with you know official gang members. Um, we never did like drive-bys or anything like that. Okay. What we did do was we would steal cars like every other day and go joyriding. So I remember we were like 15 years old. We had gotten pulled over in a stolen car, got taken to juvenile detention hall. Our parents had to come and get us. They were furious. Yeah, utterly sure. furious. They they told us we couldn't hang out with this guy anymore. You know, he was our cousin, but they said you can't have any contact with him. You know, this is not going to happen. But you know, we were starting to gain our independence at that age. Dad was working swing shifts, so he was gone all day. Mom's health started to deteriorate. She had been sick 
pretty much our whole lives. And so she just, she couldn't rein us in. Right. And so we, we continued to, you know, uh, uh, get in trouble. And, and, but the worst it got was I, I spent like eight days in juvenile hall. I was put on probation and that was, that was kind of the extent of it. Thankfully, my twin brother got his act together at age 18 with the job corps and he's been a journeyman carpenter ever since then. And so he's, he's done really well for himself. I didn't quite take that path, obviously. So you're a twin. I am a twin brother. I have a, a twin brother. He's 17 minutes older. He will never let me forget that, <laughs> that he's the older, uh, the older twin, but he, like he was rock solid by my side throughout that entire sentence. I paroled to his house with him. So he and his wife actually bought the house that we grew up in. My dad bought it in 1982 from my great grandparents who moved up to Oregon in, in the forties. And so they kept the house in the family and I've, I go back and visit some time, obviously, but um, I love my brother. He's my best friend for sure. That's amazing. So let's fast forward. So you've written a book. Tell us about uh, it's one book, right? Oh, two books, two books. Tell us about these books. Tell us the first one you wrote and what it's about. So the first one I wrote is Prison to Purpose Pipeline, this nice little book here. And I'm really, really proud of this one. This is my memoir. And if you've ever written about your life story, you will find that you remember a lot more than you thought you did, right? I, I want to remember. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't always a good girl, so I got plenty of my own stories, all right? Exactly. I just never got caught. <laughs> Thankfully. But, yeah. um, <laughs> so it, 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 it takes you from my earliest childhood memory all the way up until 2010 when I gotten my first degree. I wrote it when I was in prison. Uh, I still had like seven years left and I penned it in my prison, you know, cell. And so you get a lot of the feel of what it felt like to be in that circumstance, trying to do good in a very negative, you know, pervasively, yeah. you know, negative environment. Right. But there's a lot about the psychology behind, like I said, the origins of my childhood, why I started drinking, why I struggled so deeply. And then what I came to learn through all of my studies and through being in prison and spending time with myself. And, um, you know, it's just ultimately the goal of the book was to be utterly transparent, to, you know, reveal scars, warts, wounds, everything. So that people can identify with that because as a human being, no matter where we come from, what our background is, we all struggle. But then to show that if you don't give up on yourself, no matter how, you know, insurmountable the odds may seem that if you use that adversity to shape you and to mold you and to help you discover things about yourself that you otherwise would not have, right? Adversity has a way of doing that. Then ultimately you can succeed through that fire. So that was the goal of the book. I think I was successful in that. The, the reviews and feedback I've gotten um, have pretty much validated that. So I'm very, very proud of that book. Excellent. And then um, My Prison Life. My Prison Life is a collection of about 100 blogs. So I was a regular blogger uh, on prison-related uh, websites when I was inside. So yeah. I would talk about the daily goings-on of prison, but then also, so it's broken down in four sections. The first section is how to adjust uh, to prison life, right, from the free world. The second is about how one can maximize their prison sentence. The third one is about how to maintain a prison relationship because I actually met my fiance 
uh, a year and a half into my 17 and a half year sentence. So she did that whole 16 years with me. And that's why I moved to Pennsylvania because she built this beautiful home in Pennsylvania about a year and a half ago. And so we are living our best How life. You're smiling right now. I love we, it. That's my baby. We have traveled to the Bahamas. We've been to, you know, Vegas and DC and like, we are just, we are just really, really happy. So I talk about how we were able to, you know, uh, uh, you know, really lean into the things that 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 really, uh, uh, you know, solidify a relationship like trust and compromise and, you know, um, uh, uh, finding common ground and sacrifice and all these yeah. tenets that make a strong relationship what it is. And then the fourth part of the book is about the impact of prison on families and communities. And so I'm really, really proud of that one as well. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, um, God has got bigger plans for you. That's for sure. You know, uh, it's unfortunate what you've gone through and what you had to experience to turn your life around. But I think that you are going to make a bigger impact than I, than I, I think you even know. So keep Thank telling you. that story and keep, you know, hopefully changing lives at the same time. You know, what would you say? And we're going to start wrapping things up here. What would you say to someone that might be struggling struggling with alcohol right now and doesn't want to admit it? I would say that if it has impacted your relationships, if people around you are saying that you have a problem, even though you don't think you do, then there might be a problem. If it has cost you any 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 anything legally, then there might be a problem. If it has affected your job, if you're finding yourself, you know, being late to work or calling off work because you're hungover then there, there, there likely is an issue there. And lastly, I would say that there is help. The beautiful thing is I answer calls from people who are struggling mentally uh, by dialing 988. So this past about 10 days ago became a nationwide thing. We have 911 for emergencies, 988 for anybody in a mental health crisis. So if you are struggling with the substance use or you're just struggling mentally, you can call 988 and you can talk to somebody like me or one of my wonderful colleagues who would be more than happy to not just talk to you through that 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 dark moment, but then to connect you with resources wherever you live, whatever state, community, locale, we have resources. There are free resources. There's in-person resources, online resources, insurance-based resources. We can help you. You do not have to do this alone. We are here to help. So I just want people to understand that. Beautiful. Where can people find you, connect with you, find your books, all those good, uh, all that good stuff? Um, the easiest way is probably if you have Instagram, I'm at Martin L. Lockett, or you can uh, log into my website at martinlockett.com. The books are, you know, you can purchase them there. You can purchase them on Amazon, obviously. And so, yeah, those would be the easiest ways. Uh, you guys, I'll put all those links in the show notes. If you've connected with Martin and you want to support him in his journey by making a positive difference and helping people turn their life around, do not hesitate to go click those links. Go follow him on Instagram. It doesn't take anything out of your pocket. But if you want to go and, and grab a book a book or two from him, you know where to go. The links will be right there. So Martin, you've, you've shared a lot of great stuff, a lot of uh, what you've gone through. And I'm sure you've touched a lot of lives that, are, that will be listening to this episode. Any, what last words would you like to leave with the audience before we say goodbye? I would just say that even if you find yourself in what you may see as the rock bottom moment, 
that you're not going through that for no reason. There is a reason. There's a purpose behind why you are experiencing that. It is on you to discover what that reason is. So I would not let those moments of extreme adversity pass you by without you gleaning something very, very invaluable about yourself and how you were supposed to parlay that into a greater purpose and a greater calling. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, please keep us posted on any new projects or anything you've got going on. So we'd like to have you come back in the future just to give everybody an update. Like I said, I think that you are destined for great things. Woo, there goes that star in the sky. Uh, <laughs> I love thank it. Thank you. Thank you so much again for sharing your story. You guys, this is your host, Deanna Radulescu with Label Free Podcast. To live your best life, you must live label free. Please don't forget to follow, subscribe, rate, review, comment, share all those good things. And I'll be back soon with more dynamic guests.